He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now when he says, I therefore, what he's talking about is this. He is saying, since all this is true, since God's design is what it is, there's something now for you to do. Therefore, since we need to gain a better understanding of who he is, and we can gain that by plugging into who he is. Since we can, therefore, since we can belong to the family of God, and there's the design on which way, that, on how that works, that we belong, there's no separation. That therefore, since we know that our strength comes from him, therefore, since we know we have a job in sharing the good news and a design to share the good news, because of all of this, I need you to understand that therefore, this is what needs to happen. Y'all follow me? Like we can't just stop there. Because see what happens if we just stop with all this knowledge, then what takes place is this. We sit in our chairs week in and week out and God doesn't move. We gain better understanding. But if we don't act on it, if we don't therefore because of this and then start to move, then we're dead in the water. We don't take ground for the kingdom. And then we read earlier in Ephesians how he said this, by what the church does, by what we do as a church body, it has an impact on the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm where there's warfare going on and where there's demons and, and angels going at it and they're fighting after people's souls. By what we do here, it impacts that realm that we do not see. And the problem is this, is if we take our role too lightly and we don't walk out what he has for us. Before I go any further, some of you are sitting here staring at this wonderful t-shirt I have on, right? And y'all are wondering what in God's green earth is a bumper buddy? No, there was no accident this week. What we're about to walk into the next few weeks, if you do not have somebody that is walking alongside you to encourage you, to call you out in truth and love, if you don't have somebody that when you start to stray and lose sight of what's important, a bumper buddy, you will not last in your walk with God. You cannot do this alone. If you walk over into our children's area, you'll see our new family pastor over there, and he's the one that did this. I had nothing to do with it. He goes, but here's your T-shirt, Chad. See, when we surround people, ourselves with bumper buddies, with people that bump us back in, that when we're ready to give up, that when we're ready to throw in the towel, that when we're tired, that when we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're getting frustrated, See, God provides somebody to bump us back on the right track. And see, here's the thing that we have to understand as a church family, right? We just walk through this design of, of, of that, what the church family looks like. See, as you belong to a church family, you're surrounded with bumper buddies. You're surrounded with people that, that can help you bump you back in. The, the, the where you need to be going and stay on track what he wants so in case you're like could you please explain that shirt before you go any further that's what it has everything to do with 
So now you can engage into the scriptures. Okay. All right, here we go. So it goes on. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Now notice he talks about being a prisoner for the Lord. That the Lord's got him. The Lord's got a hold of his life. That whatever the Lord leads, whatever the Lord calls him to do, he's going to do. Even to the extreme of being a prisoner, which Paul spent time in prison. For what? For spreading the good news, for doing what he was called to do. He goes on to say this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that you are a God that is over all and that you are a God that is through all. And Lord, we give you praise for that because Lord, we, we can continue to walk out our faith and we can continue to do what you've called us to do because of who you are and what you have done and what you continue to do in our world and in our lives, Lord. So we pray, Father, Lord, as we unpack this next portion of Ephesians, um, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would allow us um, to take what you've called us to seriously and that we would see that this is not something to be taken lightly, but it is something that we need to be committed to. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's go to verse 1. It reads this. I, therefore, a prisoner, and we talked about that, that the, for the past week, where we're going and what it leads up to, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, I want us to understand walk, this word walk. Walk is an action. Notice that it doesn't say, I want you to sit. Notice it doesn't say, I want you to stay still. It says, I want you to walk. Have you ever noticed that walking takes energy? That walking takes a deliberate action of putting one foot in front of the other. We don't get to where we're going to go unless we take steps to get there. When I was in the Marines, one of my, one of my least favorite things to do was to go on marches. And we would go on 15, 20, 28-mile marches. And we would do full combat loads, which means everything you would take into combat is what you would carry. And you would carry all of that, and you would go in. And my least favorite of all of these, because what would happen is this. As we would walk, I would develop blisters on my feet. And I'm not just talking on the hills. I'm talking about the whole bottom of my feet would be covered in them. And I learned very valuable tricks that when you go on that long old walk, you start taping your feet. However, the thing that would happen is, is by the end of that walk, by the end of that march, what would happen is, is I would be in so much pain that I would lay there. And I would not want to move. Now, it took a deliberate action to keep going. See, the problem was this. Is the problem was, as a Marine, you can't quit. You don't stop. Like you keep going. 
Because the repercussions of quitting, you don't want to face. In our walk with God, in our faith walk, we have a God that shows us so much grace and so much forgiveness that I think a lot of times we rest on that rather than the commitment to walk out what he's called us to walk out. Because when we walk out, when we walk in a deliberate way, see this word is used to denote being fully committed. Paul's using this word to say there has to be a full commitment to what you're doing. There's no halfway here. There's no, there's no, you know what? Today, I feel like walking with him. Or today, right now, you know, it's a little inconvenient for me to be committed. There's no wavering here. What he's urging, and see, notice he says the urge. I urge you. This is what I want you to grasp. This is what I want you to to get. This is what I want you to understand is that there needs to be a full commitment to what I'm calling you to do, what I'm asking you to do. That it doesn't work if you do it halfway. It doesn't work if you're not fully committed. Because what will happen is you'll end up giving up. You'll end up throwing in the towel. You'll end up for the first blister you get, the first pain you experience. You'll drop out. You'll throw off the load and you'll say what? Someone else can do it. And here's what I promise you when we walk with Jesus. You will experience pain because he did. You'll experience frustration because he did. You'll experience betrayal because he did. See, all the things that he did and he walked through and everything that he went through in this life, he experienced, why? So that he could relate to us. And so Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. See, our calling is great. What he has called us to do is greater than who we are and is is significantly more than what we could accomplish. But because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of the design that he's given us and the foundation that he has laid out, I want you to walk in a manner, in a way that is worthy of the calling that he is giving us. And so we look at what he's done. And we look at how he did it and why he did it. And it's because of that that we walk out what he's calling us to do. And we do it with deliberate, deliberately. We do it with passion. We do it with full commitment. And you know what that means? That time you really don't feel like showing up or that time you really don't feel like being there. You say, you know what? I'm not gonna show up because I feel like it. I'm not gonna show up because I'm in the mood to show up. I'm going to show up because I love my Father in heaven and because he loves me. That's got to be the reason why we do what we do. When I, when I show up to do what he's called me to do because he loves me. Wednesdays are my, I think I've shared this, Wednesdays are my long day. Have I shared this with you guys? Wednesdays are my very long day. I start about, um, well, I walk into a meeting at 10.30, and that's not including everything that happens before that, but I walk into a meeting at 10.30, and then usually I roll in the house about 10.45 at night, 
It's a very long day, and I, for about nine straight hours, I listen to people's problems. Now, my, that means my wife is what? She's been dealing with the kids, and she wants to do what when I walk in the door? Thank you. She does not want to sit quietly. She wants to engage and talk with me. Guess what I don't want to do? Or listen. Do y'all know that the office on Netflix reruns are great to zone out to? In this piece, as her husband, my role is not to sit there and be selfish and zone out. My piece is to turn the TV off and engage and listen. I don't feel like it. I don't want, God, I don't want to do that. But because of who God is in my life, and because he's transformed my heart, and because he's given me a gift, a calling as a husband, I make the hard choice for me and engage. Again, this isn't based on feelings. This is based on a full commitment to take a step and walk out what he's called us to do. Because the calling is greater than we are. The calling is even more than what we could imagine. But the piece is, is that we need to walk in a way, in a manner worthy. Like, you know what? I'm going to walk. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be committed to it. Because this is what he's called me to do. I'm going to do it because this is his calling on my life. This is what he's asking me to do. I'm going to greet at the doors when people walk in, and I'm going to put a smile on my face because this is what I'm supposed to do today. I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to sing with everything I got because this is what he's called me to do. I'm going to walk in at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and I'm going to help set up and I'm going to sweat more than anybody else in the room because this is what it takes to make this thing run, and that's the calling. Do you see where I'm going with this? I'm going to show up to work because that's the calling on my life to be a light in this world, and so I'm going to show up to work with a smile on my face and a positive attitude. Even though I don't feel like being there sometimes, I'm going to do the very best that I can, and I'm going to be committed to it, and I'm going to pursue it with everything that I have because the calling calling is where it's at. We're called to be a light. Philippians 1, 26 to 28 says this. Only let your manner, the way of life, let, let the manner in which you do life, let the manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. See, what Paul wrote here to the church in Philippi, he's writing to this group and he's saying, listen, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not with you, I want you to live life this way. 
I want you to live your life out like you mean it. I want you to be deliberate in your walk. I want you to be deliberate in what, what you've been called to do. I want you to not hold back the manner in which you approach life and the manner in which you've been called to approach life, but I want what you do and how you to, to, to permeate, to be shown to the whole world that even when I'm not there, I'll hear of how you live. I'll hear of it. I'll see the evidence of it. By how we, I want us to understand this, by the how we live this life, by how we walk in this life, the evidence of it can, can start flowing through so many different avenues in life. We were having this conversation in the prayer room today. And my firm belief is this, that in a home, the way a husband and a wife interact with one another will permeate out into the whole family. And we'll get to talk about that in a few weeks. That the way as, employ, as an employer, if we have employees, that the way we treat those people will permeate out into this world. The way I come in and I do my job and I work will start to flow through everything that I do. But it takes a deliberate action. This is the second thing in this is this. So first thing is we need to be decisive. In, in, in our walk. We need to be decisive in what we do. The second thing is verse two, it reads this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Um, he, he brings us to this point of, listen, this is how we need to approach one another. And I, and I wrote here that, that we need to learn to practice showing grace. Have you ever gone on a walk with, with uh, somebody who has a different pace than you? Who, who, who here is a slow walker? Okay. Who here is a fast walker? Food. Yeah, there's always, a, there's always it depends. I get it. Uh, and it always depends on how hungry, uh, right? We could depend it all you want. But anyway, what I learned when I got married is that I married a person that walks fast. I spent four years walking fast. And so when I got out, I don't want to walk fast. I want to enjoy life. And so I like to stroll. And so what I learned is this, is that sometimes I have to grab her hand and I hold her back. And so that way we can enjoy the walk. I don't know, but it's not about her at that moment. It's about me. <laughs> I noticed this with my kids, too. My kids have different paces. My boy Josh, that kid enjoys the moment. I saw that kid take forever to eat a cupcake yesterday. <laughs> I'm talking, he licked that icing off and he sat there and, and Aunt Deborah goes, you better hurry up before your mom walks in. She doesn't know you're eating a cupcake. He didn't care. Last one from the table. His pace is interesting. Noel, different pace. Here's what I'm getting at here. We need to learn to practice showing grace. What's that mean? That your walk may be slower than mine or faster than mine. The way God changes your life may be the right pace for you, but I may not like it. 
just because he takes longer to transform someone else's life and someone else to get it doesn't mean I have to be the one frustrated about how long transformation takes in someone else's life. Everybody's pace is different. Everyone's. And yet we, well, here's what we'll do. We'll put a time frame on the way somebody should change their behavior or change where the way they're supposed to be, and we'll even speed them up. And they'll get frustrated and they'll want to quit. Or better yet, here's what we do. When they don't change fast enough, what we do is we do what? We push them to the side and say, you're not worth my time. Until you get it right, you're not worth my time. Now what's verse 2 just say? With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love. That means my pace needs to be different depending on who I'm walking with. I need to show more gentleness towards certain people. I need to be kinder and more gentle towards others. That your pace of transformation is going to be different than mine. Let me be very clear on this. The more we practice showing grace with people, the more we reflect God's glory in this world. And this is, this, this is what's interesting is this. I'm not talking about getting, I'm a firm believer in healthy boundaries. I'm a firm believer in not allowing someone to continue to abuse us over and over and over again to mistreat us, to manipulate us. What I am specifically talking about in this particular thing is somebody's spiritual journey, their walk. They may not be where we want them to be in their walk, and we may even see the changes that they need to make. And you know what's interesting is this, is if I'm walking with somebody and they have a part to do in their spiritual journey that I can't do for them, you know what I do? I stand there and wait for them as they get what they need to get. Because it's on them. I can't do it for them. It's not my job to do what they need to do in order for God to bring about transformation. It's my job to do what? To bump them back in. To show this towards them. Notice in, in here that doesn't say this. Fix their problems. Notice it doesn't say do it for them. It doesn't. It gives us a role as we walk in what we're supposed to do. Sometimes in my walk, I have to figure things out on my own, and I just need people to be patient with me. Case in point. Julie has brought it to my attention that um, I have been grumpy lately. I, thank you, Dale. She brought it to my, she goes, you've been grumpy lately. So how did I respond? Thank you, Jason. I'm not grumpy, you're grumpy. 
It is. It's very healthy in the marriage. But she brings it to my attention. Chad, you, you've been grumpy lately. Okay. Then a, a, a buddy, a bumper buddy of mine says, I noticed you've been a little off lately. I'm like, crap, you've been talking to Julie, haven't you? Block your number from her phone. Anyway, um, the piece is this, is they can point out my grumpiness to me, but they can't fix my grumpiness. That's where I have to wrestle with it. They can say, listen, I see something off, but I've got to be the one to take the step to, to, to get it right. And I can't depend on them to fix my problems. I gotta, here's what I can depend on them to be. If they're truly walking out what we're talking about, here's what I can depend on, that they're going to do this with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And I get patience is hard. Bearing with one another in love. If you take this bearing with one another, it, it, it has a meaning to it. And so, in some verses, you'll see this, this, uh, it's this idea that it is, means to persevere, to keep going, that you don't give up. This is what sometimes we just need and others need in order to figure out what's going on with them. And remember, their pace of fixing it doesn't mean it's going to be your pace. We're called to be this not set the pace. So we get to this part of practice showing grace. Colossians 3, 12 to 13 says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is the, the attitude that we need to be putting on day after day. Holy and beloved, because we're beloved, because we belong to him, we need to put on compassionate hearts. Sometimes this is easier for some than it is others. But we need to get to a point where compassion becomes a part of who we are. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It says it again. Bearing one with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, what's it say? What do we do? Say it real loud. Forgiving each other. As, as who? As he forgave me. Do you know how many times he's given me second chances? Do you know how many times he's given me third chances? Do you know how many times he's let his grace pour out on me? That in order for this to work, in order for us to, to understand this, is we have to learn that my forgiveness is not based on how many times I've been offended, but my forgiveness needs to be based on the simple fact that the Lord has forgiven me. Case in point, done. No excuses. That does not mean we have to be in a relationship with them. It doesn't mean we have to be best friends with them. It doesn't mean we have to keep going back to that well of getting mistreated and abused, but it does mean this, that we have to learn to forgive them, to release them of anything they owe us, of any type of apology we want. We just have to learn to say, there you go, uh, you're forgiven. And you let God do that in us. 
He ends it with this, so you also must forgive. One of the things that has helped me in understanding and helping me show this practice, showing grace, is this statement here, and and you can write this down. There is always one more thing about somebody that I don't know that's leading them or causing them to act the way that they're acting. There's always one more thing about somebody that I don't know that they're dealing with, that they're going through, that they're experiencing, that is bringing or manifesting itself in a way that may be offensive to me or maybe something that I don't like. And here's what I do. When I show grace, I realize that they're going through something or they have had something happen to them in their past or even in the present. And that is why they are acting the way that they are, behaving the way that they are. And because I don't know it, doesn't mean that I have, have to push them to the side, but because I don't know what they're going with, all I have to do is show them grace. Is it fair to say that we don't know everything about everyone? We don't. And if you would hold on to this simple truth that there is always one more thing about them that I don't know, that they've experienced or gone through, that has manifested in themselves in this behavior that I don't like, then I can show them more and more grace each day. And I don't have to know it and I don't have to understand it. I'm not called to that. I'm simply called to practice showing grace. So he talks about this idea in our walk to be decisive. He shows us this this, this concept of practicing showing grace. Why does he do this? Because if you think about this, the one thing that he wanted us to do is he wanted us, the body of Christ, he wanted us as individuals to come into this body that, that represents him, this body, this church body. And in this body, the only way for us to truly represent him in a way that glorifies him is for us to be unified. For us to have, a, to us to come into unity, if you look at our values as you walk out the, the hallway and you walk and you look at this, the one thing that we believe is that as we live out his truth, we trust his leading, we develop his character, we love one another and him deeply, that if we carry these four things out, that he'll bring us to a point of unity. And as a unified church, we'll just shine the light of Jesus into this world. See, he wants this unity. He wants us to be one. And he goes even so far to say this, that if you commit to be decisive in your walk, you start practicing showing each other's grace, then the unity starts. And he goes, here's what I want you to base your unity on. And he gets to this particular piece. Because there's so many things even within our body that we could disagree on. I could have you, if you're a theologian, I can ask you if you're an Arminian or a Calvinist, and I guarantee you in this room we're going to have differences. I even guarantee you that there's going to be people in this room have different views on how to handle the homosexual issue in today's world. Differing views. There's differing views on all kinds of things. What a marriage should look like, what a, what, a, what a church should look like. There's all these differences that we could focus in on. But God says this, I, Paul writes this in this particular piece. I want you to show you what your mutual beliefs should be standing on. I want you to show you how when you're committed to these things that your unity will show and it will shine. Plain and simple. He doesn't waffle with it. He doesn't go anywhere else. He says this in verses three to six. Eager to maintain the what? 
Unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What's bond mean? The thing that brings you together and holds you together. It's the beliefs, the mutual beliefs that will keep you together as a body, as a body of believers. And he says of peace. Because guess what? If your bond is weak and it starts to crack, what do you not have anymore? Peace. If you start to get division in a body, what happens? It's not pretty. Peace does not exist. And so as believers, as a church body, we got to come around something that brings us together, that bonds us together so that there is peace, so that we can do exactly what he's called us to do. And we could focus in on so many different things that we lose sight of what's most important. And so he brings it to this point. He goes on, he says, there is one body, one body. And when he says body, he's talking about the church body. There's one that belongs to him, that makes up who he is. And it doesn't matter, and we could go and we can look at all these different churches that exist in our community. At the end of the day, guys, they're one body that belong to Jesus. They just have a different way about going and reaching the world. But there's one body, that is one church body that exists, that one body of Christ that exists, then that's the common ground. He goes on, he says this, in one spirit, do you know that when we give our lives to Christ in return, we get filled with the Holy Spirit? That's one spirit. There's no different spirit. You don't have a different spirit than I do, and you don't have a different spirit than anyone over here. We are given the exact same one. The Holy Spirit that lives within us, that talks to us, that convicts us, that brings about things in our lives. That when we open up his word, his Holy Spirit is the one that opens it up to our eyes and our minds for us to comprehend it and to understand it. It's the one that gives us a passion for what we want to do. It's the one that brings us back to the calling that he has in our lives. It's the one that reminds us of where we're supposed to go. And it is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The moment we give our lives to Christ, the moment we belong to to the body of Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit in return as a gift, and that gift is the same in each of us. There's no different. And here's the beautiful part about it. You ready? You can't say, well, I've got more of the Holy Spirit than you do. It's the same one. Or you can't say, well, Chad, I'm not a pastor, so apparently I don't have as much as the Holy Spirit is. No. It's the same one. The only difference is, is we're tapping into it in a different capacity. He goes on, just as you were called to the one hope. There's one hope in this world. One hope. That hope is our eternal salvation. We don't put hope in anything else. We just talked about the mystery. We spent a couple weeks talking about the mystery of Christ that was revealed through Jesus and how because of this mystery that because of what Jesus came and did, we now belong to the family of God. That's our hope. 
That because of what Jesus did, and there is no other way to the Father but through Jesus. There's no other way to gain salvation but through Jesus. We can't be good enough. We can't do things well enough. We can't do all these things. We cannot act or perform enough and well enough to receive eternal salvation. Our hope and our hope alone, the one hope, stands in Jesus Christ alone and what he gives to us because of his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the one hope we have as a body of Christ. Plain and simple. These are the common things that bring us together. And he goes on. One Lord. We have one Savior. This isn't like other religions that may have all these other things. We have one Lord. One Jesus. Plain. That's it. There is no other. One faith. One conviction about our salvation. One conviction about our walk. That's our faith, this, this conviction to walk out what he has. One dependence on God. It's the same in all of us that we need to get to this point where there is just one. One baptism. And I love this because he goes on and he talks about this baptism piece. And we get in there. There is only one act that he calls us to do as believers to show that we belong to him. And that is to show people that we belong through, to him through baptism. That when we make the decision to give our lives to Jesus and we respond to that call in our lives, our next step should be believer's baptism. And that is when we are buried, when we are lowered into the water and raised up into newness with him. That's why we do baptisms here. There's no other. And I'm not going to diminish if you were a child and somebody and they, they did a child baptism or a baby dedication or a baby baptism on you. There's nothing wrong with your parents dedicating you in that way. I'm not diminishing that. But what I am saying, and there is a part in our own personal walk with Jesus where we have to take a step of faith in our own lives, a step of obedience in our own lives, and submit to what he's calling us to do. And that's to go before our family and friends and our church family, the one body, and say, I I belong to him by showing the world that my old life was buried and I was raised into newness with him. One of them. And he goes on and he says, one God and father of all who is over all and through all in all. There is no other God like him. We try. We try to make money a God. We try to make things a God. We try to make all these ideas and concepts a God. But there's no God like the God we have. He's the God in all and through all. We don't celebrate. We don't, there, there is no recognition of other gods. It is him. And it's him alone that we believe in and we've set our hope in and that we trust. One. See, as a body of believers, if we can't agree on these simple ones, peace will never exist. Peace will never happen. And so it comes down to this piece where Paul says, here's what I want you to focus your beliefs on. I want you to realize this is what binds you together and when you do this, unity is a result. People will see you as unified. And I'm giving you something to stand on. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, he says, yet, he says this, yet for us, 
there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist. Y'all get that? From, from whom are all things. He created everything. And for whom we exist. We were created for him. We were created for a relationship with him. And one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom, through whom we exist. See, it's through Jesus living in us that we have that relationship. And Jesus alone, there is no other that gives us access to the Father. And it's in those pieces that we bring about this mutual beliefs that bring about a, a, a unity and a body that Jesus prayed for before he went to heaven. That's the peace he wants to see in us. This is the peace we hold on to. And here's what I love about it. There may be some that may not get this just yet. That doesn't mean I don't slow my pace down and walk with them. Doesn't mean I give up my commitment to be with them and walk with them. Continue to walk. I continue to bump. And I continue to encourage. So that we can be committed to a unity that shines the light of Jesus into this world. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and praise you, and we thank you for your goodness <clears throat> and your faithful to, faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided a way for us to belong. You have provided a way for us to live our lives. You've even provided um, a way uh, for us to want, love each other and forgive each other, Lord. And it's all because of you. So God, as, as we look at what you did and because of what you did, now we can walk and be committed to that. Lord, that's my prayer today is that we would be a people committed to living a life that glorifies you. That we would be a church that is committed to unity and believing that you are the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega. That who you say you are, you are. And because of that, Lord, we continue to walk. We continue to be deliberate in what we do. We continue to be intentional with how we live. And that because of that, you draw us to you and to each other to, and by a bond that, is, that provides peace in our lives and in this world. Lord, help us not to focus on the differences. Help us focus in on what you've called us to. One Lord, one hope, one faith, one God, one baptism. that be our driving force. Lord, we love you and praise you. We ask that you would continue to build unity in this church, that you continue to help us be committed to that walk that you've called us to, that calling you have on us, Lord, and that we would walk it out in a manner that, 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 that says, you know what? 
I belong here. I'm confident in this calling. And when we're confident in that and we walk in a manner that's worthy of that, Lord, we don't falter. We keep going. So Lord, help us to be deliberate and help us to put effort into it and to not give up as we pursue what you've called us to be, a unified church that shines the light of Jesus into a dark and hurting world. God, we love you and praise you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. A couple ways for us to respond today. First off, if you're dealing with something in life and you need prayer,